All right, I have a question for you. If you got to sit across the table from Jesus, what would you ask him? We'd probably all have little random questions we'd ask, uh, little things we think about, but we'd probably all get around to a, a big question, like, what do you want church to be? What are, what are we supposed to do here? What is the kingdom of heaven, this idea? And Jesus would say, the kingdom of heaven is like economics. What? The kingdom of heaven is like somebody actually saves a lot of money to buy real estate. The kingdom of heaven is like someone that got really behind on their loan payments and needed help. There's four of these. The kingdom of heaven is like finding out the guy or gal in the cubicle next to you that works the same exact job, gets paid a lot more than you. The kingdom of heaven is like being hired to invest someone else's money for them. Jesus, through parables, used common things that people would understand to teach about the kingdom of heaven. And uh, I'm always, I've always been a finance and numbers kind of guy. That's what my career was in before the Lord called me to ministry. So when it came to pick a series, I said, let's, let's do this. Let's look at four parables that have to do with finance and money and economics. Our sermon series is entitled Heaven's Economy. In these parables, everything we know about money gets flipped on its head. So if you don't like money, if you're not a math person, please don't leave. There's something here for all of us because it's, God's kingdom is nothing like this world. So that's where we're going. Today, uh, Matthew 13 is where we'll be, looking at the parable of the hidden treasure and the pearl of great value. So I'm excited to get into this. It's, it's uh, there's a lot here that we'll go over. So I hope that the Lord warms your heart in some way today and uh, gives your mind something to consider as you go about your week. So let's pray together. Dear Lord, it's a privilege to worship you, to gather and be a part of your church, Lord. Help us to value this thing called church, this thing called your kingdom in the way that you value it, Lord. God, we come to you seeking and longing, Lord, to live lives of meaning and purpose. And we want to be valuable to you, God. So help us to see it, Lord. Help us to uh, understand a little bit better. We want to be a part of your kingdom, and we want to keep in step with you. Bless us through your word today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew 13, verses 44 through 46. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then, in his joy, he goes, sells all that he has, and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. All right, let's start with a quick note on parables. You might have seen people try to say that Christianity is like the sum of many parts. Christianity is these 40 things or these 36 things. Parables try to say the kingdom of heaven is one thing. 
So it's not going to give you all the details. It's going to give you like a lens, like a perspective, an angle through which you understand the whole kingdom. Over the next three weeks, the passages are a little longer, so we'll probably live in them more. This week, though, we're going to jump all over the place because I don't want to just dig up everything that's in these three verses. I want us to see how these three verses give us a perspective on the whole story. So I'll throw out a bunch of chapter references throughout today. Do not feel the need to jump around in your Bible. If you want, if it would be profitable to you, you could write down the chapter references. Um, But we're we're doing a lot of moving around throughout Scripture today, not to confuse you, (laughs) but I want want us to see that these themes that we're discussing today are not one-off things. They're, They're throughout the whole Bible. So let's dive in. Verse 44 gives us a unique image, an unfamiliar image, uh, but it's just unfamiliar to us because if you're going to keep treasure safe, uh, you're probably not going to get a shovel. You're going to go to your bank to a safety deposit box, or you're going to make sure that on your online account access that there's two-factor authentication. That's how we do it. But in biblical times, if you were going to leave your house for a while, One of the most reasonable things you could do is bury it on your land in a place where you only know, only you know where it is. So this is something people did. This story is probably something that actually happened. So this man finds hidden treasure, puts it right back where it was, saves up his money, he thinks about it, he makes a decision. He goes to the owner of the land and buys that land. And he gets all the land, but he buys it so he can get that treasure. So that's the first parable. The second parable is a little more accessible. It's uh, somebody who's seeking. They're looking. They deal every day and find pearls. But then one day they discover one pearl of great price, of great value. And they think about it, and they give everything away for it. You know, I'm sure there's more here that I cannot see. We all have limited perspective. So if, if someone was an archaeologist or if they were a treasure hunter, I'm sure they'd have a cool view of this. Or if they were a jeweler or an oyster fisherman, they'd probably know more about pearls than me. I'm captured by the big idea. So I'm, I grew up watching Prices Right. <laughs> I, uh, I've always been a finance numbers guy. I made it my career. So I'm, I'm interested in this main story that what this is about is a financial deal. You trade one thing away for another. The kingdom of heaven is like one really big trade. We're going to look at the parable today from two angles. So there's two kind of interpretations of the parable. Most Bible scholars and commentators hold to a view that Jesus is teaching us what it looks like to follow him, that we are the merchant, we are the treasure finder. And this parable challenges us to seek the kingdom, to find it, to make a judgment call, a value assessment, and give away everything to gain in the kingdom of heaven. If you were to ask a non-Christian, hey, why aren't you a Christian? They would say something that would probably reduce down to, well, this is my life. I value this. I know what you Christians are doing over here. I see it, but I I value this. 
And then if you would ask a Christian the same questions, like, hey, what, what do you think about this stuff? They'd say, well, yeah, I, you know, I really used to value those things too, but there was a moment when I traded that away because you have no idea how much this is worth to me. God's kingdom is eternal. I get to be a part of it. And I've traded that all away. So I hope you see the principle. We hold, we hold on to the things we value. We trade away the things we don't. No one ever does a trade of something they really value for something they don't value at all. I hesitate to name examples, but like maybe you threw away your Goo Goo Dolls albums to get Switchfoot albums. Or, or maybe it was like a relationship that, or friendships that you had, to, you had to cut those off because they were holding you back from the kingdom. And all those things, you forfeited something, but you gained much more. The cost was less than the benefit. One classic place of trade is the elementary school cafeteria. <laughs> There's always that one kid who had an extra measure of, I don't know what you'd say, but they would have the really good snacks, the ones that you would see on Saturday morning cartoons advertised, and they would unveil it out of their paper bag, Gushers Fruit Snacks. And everybody sat around this kid because they knew that he always had the good stuff. And as he pulls it out, you can almost hear the Wall Street bell going off, ding, 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 ding. And the bids, the bids start rolling in. I got, I got two pretzels. I got one cookie. I'll give you half of my fruit roll-up. I'll give you the whole fruit roll-up. And sometimes a trade would happen, but sometimes it wouldn't. It's up to that kid. What do I value more, my Gushers fruit snacks or whatever I'm being offered? But he wouldn't trade them away unless he valued that thing more. And listen, we all do this too. Uh, We don't barter as much. We use money, um, and we make these kind of value decisions every day. When I first read this passage, what I came away with was a pretty selfish thought uh, that focused on me, me, me. Like, oh man, like, I've got to give away everything. My, what, all these things I like, all these things I value, the things I love for God. But if we, if we really look, if we see what this passage says, that's, that's not what it says. This person is filled with joy as they go to buy this field. They got everything in their pocket. They're giving it up for the field. This person has searched, the other person has searched their whole life, a whole life of seeking and not finding and continuing to look. And it's their natural response to give up everything for that pearl. So the concept is not to punish us. God doesn't want us just to burn up all our money and all our things. That's actually how non-Christians view Christianity. They see only the cost Jesus was speaking to people that had no idea what the kingdom of God was going to look like. Through his death and resurrection and the ministry of the Holy Spirit, God was going to pour out his love on people in a way that they had never seen. And when they saw it, it was like they were kids in a candy store. Like, I want that. I don't care what the cost is. God's love has become the treasure of my heart. God wants to touch us all at a soul level and give us a joy and give us a happiness that makes all the things of this world seem less valuable. 
So some people will hold on to the things in this life, but the mark of a Christian life is that all the things of this world become less valuable because of what we envision about God's kingdom. So this doesn't look like blind faith. I just want us to see it. God's not saying, all right, throw out all your stuff and then come see me. It's about envisioning the kingdom first. Seeking, seeking, and seeking. We are no strangers to this process. Through the power of the internet, without leaving your couch, you can find new real estate listings in your area. You can find deals on lunch snacks for your kids' lunch. And you can actually have a car delivered to your front door. God knows we are seekers in our nature. In Jeremiah chapter 29, he says, You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Paul says of God in Acts 17, God created people so that they might seek God and perhaps might reach out and find him though he is not far from each of us. So in the same way we would discover our next car or our next home, every Christian heart has this moment of discovery, or maybe it's actually many moments of rediscovery, where God reveals himself to us, and it's beautiful in our sight. And when we see it and we see him, it demands a value decision on our part. In Mark chapter 8, Jesus asks, and these are all financial terms, by the way. So God's kind to you. Read your Bibles, and he's going to show you the things that you see. And as somebody that does some buying and selling and working and investments, see this in Mark 8. What does it profit someone to gain this whole world but to lose their life? Or what could someone trade for their life? And he bids us to deny ourselves and follow after him. Remember, this is not before discovering the kingdom. This is not before discovery. We're not called to blind, sacrificial faith. But when you see Jesus and when you see beauty in his kingdom, you're faced with this value decision. Some of our decisions are yes and decisions. Like you can hold one and the other. Like, yes, I'll go to my life group. And yes, I'll go to my snack bartering meetup, if there was ever such a thing. Until those things conflict. And now you can't have a yes and decision. It's either a yes or no. And you have to weigh it. <clears throat> you have to see which one do I value more. Let me say something to you. Like, if you don't value friendship, and if you don't want to be in a life group, it'll probably be a miserable experience for you to be in a life group. <laughs> like, God is not trying to coerce us to do things that we don't value, he wants us to see the value in it. So if you love the church, if you value relationships and friendships and the idea that when you're hurting, someone's there to help you, you no one's going to have to sell you on life group. You're going to say, when is it? Sign me up. I'm there. There's some costs that I have to pay to come here, but they're worth it because I value being a part of God's church, being active in his kingdom, and I see it as a trade up. You'll know you're near God's heart when you find yourself giving away the things that hold you back spiritually for the things that draw you closer to him. 
I want us to see that this principle is not only here. Let's look at two other places in Matthew where we see this idea of trading up. In Jesus' interaction with a rich young ruler in Matthew 19, he says, I'll paraphrase, I tell you the truth, anybody that gives up anything in this world for me and for my kingdom, they're going to gain a hundredfold in the kingdom that is to come. So what he's saying is our lives are meaningful. The way we spend our time, the choices we make, like you, you really, you will in your heart underestimate how powerful those decisions are. It's the return is not 5%, it's whatever, 10,000% return. In the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, don't lay up for yourselves treasures in this earth that will ultimately be destroyed or taken away from you. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. For that wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He says, where your heart is, And what you value will affect the way you invest. And we have this glorious opportunity to invest eternally. The kingdom of heaven is like a discovery of something infinitely precious. This decision that we make and then a trade that we do and then we grin all the way to the bank. Let's read these verses and think about what this looks like in our lives. Matthew 13, 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes, sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. application. This is where it gets tricky. Like literally everything in our Christian faith, these things are easier talked about than actually done. Joining a life group comes with a cost. There's an increase in awkward conversations of which I'm the worst. (laughs) We forfeit things in this world and some of those decisions hurt. But let's remember we do these things for the Lord and not for ourselves. I believe every single person in this room has some unfinished business with the Lord. We're all growing. You know, we spent a lot of time in church like the past couple years talking about kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. What is it? And I'm growing that. I don't, I don't know for sure exactly what it looks like. I don't have all the details worked out, but I, I, have, I live with a longing that I'm still seeking the kingdom. What does it look like? The Bible says we see Jesus like in a mirror, like a dim reflection, but one day we will see him face to face. And the first application point is like, let's lean into that. Let's seek the kingdom. Be seekers of the kingdom, seekers of God, longing for more revelation of who he is and what he looks like. Prayerfully seeking God. And as we know, when we see him, as this passage shows us, then it's going to demand something of us. There's going to be a trade-off. You know, in the moment when we make decisions, sometimes they can feel hard. There's a cost that seems really large. But the more we get away from them, we'll say to ourselves things like, ah, I really wish I did that sooner. I really didn't know what I was thinking. 
Has God touched your heart in a particular area involving his kingdom? One thing that comes to mind for me is children's ministry. If you really value what we do at this church, how we teach the Bible and teach songs of Jesus to our children, and we are faithfully helping them grow every week in the Lord from childhood into adulthood, if you value that, connect that joy with your life. Go away like this merchant did and this uh, treasure finder did and like count a cost. See what it's going to take. See what it's going to cost you and do what it takes to be a part of it because when you do, it's going to increase your joy to be a part of this section of God's kingdom that you value. I love Vacation Bible School. I went when I was a kid and God worked in my heart through it. God's working in my kids now through it and I value it. I have seen it. God has revealed it to me specifically as being kingdom significant. So I'm sold. I'm in on it. For you, maybe it's not children's ministry. What part of God's kingdom excites you and makes you joyful? The application point here is to take action. Step away. Count the cost come to a decision and say, I am going to live with my whole heart, my mind, my body, and my soul, and all my strength for the things that I value in the kingdom. There's more joy in keeping step with the Lord than holding back. If your joyful discovery of the Lord was a long time ago, and your life since has been characterized by tension and conflict, There might have been something that the Lord asks for you to give up. And I want you to know that it's not too late. Make the trade. The kingdom of heaven asks something of all of us. I'll say that again. The kingdom of heaven asks something of you. You may have been told by somebody that the kingdom of heaven is listening to somebody talk for five minutes and then praying a prayer and you're good. That's what we call cheap grace. And you don't see it in Scripture. What Jesus says here and in those examples in Matthew is that if you haven't given up anything for God, if you haven't given up anything for the kingdom, maybe you didn't see him. Maybe you missed it. Maybe you're still seeking him. You need to find him because he is beautiful and he gives us this opportunity to invest eternally. Why not do that? So God may have asked you a long time ago to put something on the table. I don't think you'll have peace until you obey. And then you can know that while it costs you something, it will be a trade up. If you're holding on to something that's holding you back from keeping in step with God's kingdom, just give it up. Give it to the Lord. So those are three quick applications. Seek God in his kingdom. Pursue and take action. Make a decision. Make a trade. And if there's something the Lord's asking you to give up, give it up. It will be a trade up. All right, so we're going to take a turn here. As I mentioned earlier, there's two ways to interpret this parable. Um, When reading commentaries about this, most people said it this way, the way we've talked about it, the way we've looked at it today. But they had very little say about the word all, the word everything. 
And I called my mortgage company this week about $100 because I was like, hmm, is that right? And I think I'm right, by the way. <laughs> As a numbers guy, all is a really big number. It's 100%. I looked up the word in Greek and I couldn't weasel my way out of it. There was no help. This word in Greek means all, everything, all things, continually, perfectly, and whole. So before we dive into this other interpretation, I want us to see, we looked at Matthew 6, we looked at Matthew 19. It's not that this interpretation is wrong. There's so much for us here. And God help us to give up the things of this world to take hold of the kingdom. But I can't make total peace with that because I don't, am I giving God everything? There's been moments in my life and prayer and dedication to the Lord where I, I see it. God, I see the beauty of your kingdom. Nothing on this earth is worth living for. It's all going to go to dust. I want to live for you eternally. But in the everyday life, week after week, when I look back, it's some percentage that's lower than 100 that I'm giving the Lord. I was talking to a friend about this passage, and he said that uh, this passage made him feel guilt. That like maybe after living a period where I wasn't really giving myself to the Lord, maybe I need to be saved again. Like somehow I messed up this whole salvation thing. Maybe you can relate. I think we all can in some way. I personally find more peace, more joy, and I actually feel more willingness and eagerness to give up the things of this world in this next interpretation. And that's that we are not the seeker of fine pearls. We are not the person that has found the treasure. Jesus is not teaching us how to live in the kingdom of heaven, but he's describing the kingdom of heaven. And he's not saying that the kingdom of heaven is like billions of us seeking him. The kingdom of heaven is like one man who paid a very dear price for something that he valued. As I jumble this around in my head and think through it, yeah, Jesus didn't give some percentage lower than an A+, plus, not 90 or 80 or 70%. Yeah, Jesus gave 100% because through his death and through his resurrection birthed the church and the gospel has gone to every corner of the earth and one soul at a time, people are finding him and discovering him because of what he did and he did enough. He did everything. Jesus gave his everything in a way that I cannot So as we continue on in this interpretation of the parable, it leads me to an uncomfortable place in a very different way. So now I'm not wrestling with, can I give everything to God? I'm wrestling with a very different thing. I'm wrestling with this idea that God, who sees my every flaw, knows my every sin, would see me as valuable. I'm valuable to you, Lord, really? I know there's people here uh, that are depressed, that you have a low view of yourself based on the things you've done or your perspective of who you are. The scripture is not silent on these issues. 
Um, I believe that spiritual growth is a significant and maybe the best tool we have to navigate our mental health. In this passage right here, it challenges us to rethink those negative thoughts we have about ourselves and to look at how God views us. Let's consider the Israelites. Just consider that you were a part of those people that God rescued from slavery in the book of Exodus. Miracle after miracle, he delivers you into the wilderness. He's providing food for you every day. And what happens in the book of Numbers? We grumble, we complain, we rebel, we mutiny against God. And God punished the the Israelites for that. But he didn't quit on them. And what happens? Miracle after miracle again, he delivers them in a promised land living. And right at that point in the book of Deuteronomy, before he takes them into the land, listen to what God says about them. Deuteronomy chapter 7. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. God saw them, he chose them, and they became, despite all their mess-ups, despite all their rebellion, you need to understand that you are my treasure. In the parable of the prodigal son, Jesus teaches about this father that gives up riches for relationship. If you know the story, you know that there's this son that uh, wasted everything on wild living, made really bad life decisions. He's eating from a pig trough, and you hear his internal dialogue he has with himself. Well, gosh, well, I'm, I would actually have food in my father's house. I'll just be his servant. Uh, I just want to be maybe somebody in my father's house. And what does the father say? He says, no, 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 go into my treasure and get a ring, put it on his finger. Call the butcher, we're having a barbecue because my, my son is here. I value him more than the things I'm giving up for him. I'll do one more in First uh, Corinthians chapter 6. Paul teaches, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. These, are all, these all could be one-hour-long sermons, all of these. This one says we were bought at a price. There was a deal that was done. There was a trade that was done for our souls. And God did it because he sees us as his temple. We could linger here and read about Solomon's temple and all its glory and all the gold that was in it. Just know it was a lot of gold. When God says that we're his temple, our individual bodies as well as our body as we gather as the church, when God says it's his temple, he's not saying something low about who we are or precious to him. Let's read it one more time. Matthew 13. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. If you're a numbers person, a more calculated, logical, rational person, 
the phrase, I love you, might not be super significant to you. You might have heard that word said, not backed by faithfulness. And the idea that God loves you, which he does, uh, might not resonate in your heart. What this passage says is that God values you. He bought you. He chose you. And this was not at the end of your life when you finally may be given everything away. He did it before you ever did anything. He loves you. He values you. He wants you to be a part of his church because his church is his treasured possession. It's not the things you do that make you meaningful to him. He values you for who you are. Have you ever done a big financial deal? You count up the cost, you show up, you sign them out in the paper, and before you know it, you're shaking somebody's hand and they're handing you keys. 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ, being the very nature of God, ascended a hill to do one really big trade. It's like a pop-up screen, Boop, order confirmation. You are about to purchase a great multitude of sinful people, people who've messed up, people that have very low views of who they are, people with low self-esteem, people from every tribe and every nation and every tongue, every tongue. <laughs> Cost everything. And Jesus clicks submit. And Jesus said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. The kingdom of heaven is the greatest transaction ever made where a savior traded his life for a people that he treasures. Have you discovered what you're seeking in the kingdom? Have you found it? Are you rediscovering it? He is asking for you to trade the things of this world to be an active part of his kingdom. You can store up treasures that will last forever. It's a good deal. Take the deal. How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure that he would give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. How, how can I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer, but this I know with all of my heart. His wounds have paid my ransom. Let's pray. Lord God, every way we look at this passage gives us life and it fills our hearts with joy. God, we want to be people that are valuable in your sight. Help us, Lord. Give us courage to give away the things that look so valuable to us in all the individual ways that we walk with you, Lord. We want to trade up into your kingdom when we want to be valuable in your sight. Help us to give you our everything. And Lord, we acknowledge and see the person of Jesus Christ, our Savior and our friend, that you withheld nothing. You gave your everything, your body and your blood so that we could be called Christian, so that we could be called a part of your church, a part of your kingdom. That is who we are. We are yours. We thank you, Lord, for the price you paid. And uh, we want to seek after you this day and every day. May your kingdom come and your will be done through us, Lord, to your glory. 
we love you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. 